Good morning. How's everybody doing? You caught me drinking my water here, so I'm going to take me a sip. Can y'all indulge me for a moment? Mmm, that's mighty good. <laughs> it's good to see you today. Hey, get your invite cards and get out there and invite, but not the way you saw Iran doing it, right? We're not going to invite that way, um, but do grab those cards and make sure that you get some and get them out to your friends and family. I wanted to let you know about something that happened to me yesterday. It was just such an awesome thing, and, and I was so honored by it. And um, It made me think about what it must be like when we come to church. And when we come to this place, and we're here to worship and honor Jesus, and just bring Him our all and bring Him our best. And I was, um, I was coming in to dance for Christ. That's the reason I've got all this going on, sorry. I've got all this stuff going on on my face is that I am in Dance for Christ and no, I don't dance. So um, they would not sell many tickets if that were the case. But my daughters are involved in it and my oldest daughter lives in Manhattan. And uh, we have not seen her since Christmas and we have been missing her. And those of you who have children that live far away, um, maybe that have moved out, grown up, doing their thing, you know. Um, and so it's tough. When they leave, I've got three more. Um, that kind of helps, uh, kind of uh, even it out a little bit. But still, your baby's your baby, right? And you're always going to miss your baby. Well, I come to the studio last night or to the Paramount Theater last night at 6.30. I open up my dressing room door and unbeknownst to any of the family, none of us knew this, my daughter Taylor is standing in the dressing room. And I opened the door and looked at her. And have you ever looked at somebody and you knew they were there, but you didn't believe it? <laughs> I knew she was there, but I was like, this cannot be my daughter standing in this room. And mm, I love my kids. I'm passionate about them. And I was so happy to see her. I'm so proud of her. She's 21 years old. I know. There's no way I have a kid that old. I understand. Oh, but it was so good to see her. And I was so happy. And I, I thought about the joy that that brought me. And I thought about what it must be like for God our Father. When we stop long enough just to take the time to spend some time with him, You know, the fact that she booked the airline ticket, she did all the work, she kept it hidden from every one of us and, and made the effort to come and be with her dad. Well, really, I know it was her mom, but I'm going to take it any way I can get it, you know. Um, but that she made that effort was enormous for us. And I think it means the same thing to God. So I'm thankful that you're here, but I want to encourage you in something. I want you every day to take that time, to pause long enough, to climb up in the lap, figuratively, figuratively of course, climb up in the lap of your Heavenly Father and spend some time. Just embrace Him and love on Him and spend that quality moment with Him to let Him know you're thinking about Him and and that He is a part of your thought life and worship life. It means a lot. I don't know if that resonates with you, but I pray it does. Because it was so impactful for me last night. Now as we get into the, the study today, I want us to look at 
that this is our third week talking about the attitudes at the cross in Matthew chapter 27. And as we looked at the attitudes surrounding the cross, the first attitude, does anybody remember? Anybody got that good a memory? It was self-righteousness. And who did we talk about that Sunday? The Pharisees, right? Were self-righteous. Then last week, we talked about hypocrisy. You guys have been taking notes. Good. And who did we talk about that Sunday? Judas, right? In his hypocrisy. And we look at self-righteousness and we look at uh, hypocrisy and, you know, we can hear about them and say, how in the world could they have seen Jesus and walked with Jesus and done that and yet we too are guilty of self-righteousness and hypocrisy, aren't we? You ever been a hypocrite? By not raising your hand, you're being a hypocrite, right? We've all been hypocrites, right? We've all done and said things and got on people about stuff that we were right there in it, doing it with them. And so those are attitudes we have to watch. The reason we're talking about these is not because we want to teach you some history. It's because we want you to understand this is your proclivity, that you can do the same thing. And so today we're going to look at the attitude of cowardliness. Cowardliness. And that's not just backing down from a fight when a big old dude wants to come up on you and pound you or your, your wife, you know, in the head. It's, it's not just that. It is standing up for the truth or the inability to do so. And so we're going to look at a man who failed to do this in Scripture. And his name is Pilate. Anybody ever heard of Pilate? You remember him from Scripture? Well, let's look in Matthew chapter 27 as we read his word today. This is quite a few verses of Scripture, so bear with me. Uh, so they bound him, Jesus, and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor of Judea who had the authority to condemn prisoners. Now Jesus stood before Pilate, the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? In affirmation, Jesus said to him, it is as you say. But when the charges were brought against him by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they're testifying against you? But Jesus didn't reply. Not even a single accusation so that the governor was greatly astonished. Now at the feast of the Passover... The governor was in the habit of setting free one prisoner whom the people chose. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner guilty of insurrection, and that is uh, uh, the, the breaking of laws against the government and murder. And his name was Barabbas. So when they had assembled for this purpose, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to set free for you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ. For Pilate knew that it was because of jealousy that the chief priests and elders had handed Jesus over to him. While he was seated on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous, innocent man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream. Because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas 
and to put Jesus to death. The governor said to them, which of the two do you wish me to set free for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all replied, what? Let us crucify him. He must be crucified. And he said, why? What has he done that is so evil? But they continued shouting all the louder, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but rather that a riot was breaking out, he took water, he washed his hands to ceremonially cleanse himself of the guilt. And in the presence of the crowd, he said, I'm innocent of this righteous man's blood. See to that yourselves. And all the people answered, let the responsibility for his blood be on who? On and our... Wow. Holy cow. So he did what? He set Barabbas free, right? He set him free. But after having Jesus severely whipped, he handed him over to be crucified. We see in this passage of Scripture that Pilate was a governor. He was a governor for the Roman Empire, put in power over this particular region. Now, if you're a governor, now y'all be nice here, if you're a governor, you're not a fool. You have accomplished some things to get to that place and that status in life. But Pilate was a ladder climbing, fence straddling politician. What does the Bible say about uh, a man who is double-minded? Basically a fence straddler. James talks about it. Says a double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. So Pilate was put in a dilemma here. He knew that Jesus was righteous. He even tried to wash his hands of the matter, but he couldn't do it. So how did he know? What were the things around him that led him to believe and let him know that Jesus was, in fact, just? Well, the first thing was a voice. And it was the voice of reason. The voice of reason let him know that Jesus was just. He wasn't guilty of the things that they said he was guilty of. Um, it says in verse 18, he knew what motivated those men, the chief priests and elders, to do what they did. For Pilate knew that it was because of what? Jealousy. That the chief priests and elders had handed Jesus over to him. They were jealous of the influence that he had. They were jealous of the things that he was doing and they wanted to put a stop to it. Pilate knew that the motives of those who brought Jesus to him for his judgment were corrupt. They had bad motives. You ever met anybody, ever dealt with anybody whose motives weren't pure? Who were motivated to do something because they had something to gain? Anybody ever helped you? Because in reality they wanted to be helped. They wanted something you could do for them. So they befriended you and were nice to you. And then it 
came back and bit him. I got a friend who's been going through this recently. He got elected to a public office, and one of the guys that was real instrumental in helping him get elected wanted to push something through. Well, when he went to push it through, guess what my friend noticed? That's not the best thing. I don't agree with that. I see that your motives may not be completely pure. And so he said, I can't do it. And this was a person who was a long-standing friend of his. And he ran into him in town, and he stuck his hand out. Hey, man, how are you doing? And what do you think that guy did? Nothing. Because his motives weren't pure. See, when we hear the voice of reason, the voice of reason helps me understand that God is real. That God exists. I've got four children. I've seen a lot of babies be born. <laughs> There's nothing more remarkable and unbelievable in this life than to witness that. When you walk outside and see the grandeur of nature, maybe you go hiking in the mountains or you like to raft down a river or whatever, they can, or just work in your garden. Isn't part of why you do that because you want to connect with nature? And in a sense, it gives you that opportunity to connect with God. Because it's in that moment that you realize there's someone bigger than me. There's somebody greater than all of us that put all this together. It didn't just happen. And it wasn't just a big bang. And if you want to argue with me about that, set up an appointment. We'll sit down and talk. But all I'm going to do is point you to Scripture. It is the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. And it is true. And you're not arguing with me. You're arguing with it. So if you want to do it, you can. But I'm standing on that. Amen. I believe in a creator God. And that is how we can look and recognize with the voice of reason that God exists. Psalm, 9, Psalm 14, excuse me, teaches us that, or, or 19, rather. And then, after the voice of reason spoke to Pilate, we see the voice of conscience told Pilate. That Jesus was a righteous man. Well, where do we find that, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Luke chapter 23, verse 4. Luke 23, 4, Pilate says what? I find no fault in this man. You have brought him to me. I got two guys standing in front of me. I got a guy guilty of murder and insurrection, and I got Jesus over here, and you're telling me this guy needs to be crucified, and we're going to let him go. You want him out in your community. A man that's unrepentant, doesn't care what he did, and you want to let that one go. Guys, Pilate knew purity when he saw it. He knew honesty when he saw it. He knew justice when he saw it. He knew their motives, but he also could see this was a man of character. Have you met someone? Are you able to determine and discern when someone is a person of character? What are the ways that you're able to determine that? How do you know somebody is a person of character? One of the easiest ways to determine that is that person does 
what they say they'll do, right? If they tell you yes, they walk up to you and shake your hand and say, absolutely, this is what we're going to do, and, and I guarantee it, and I give you my word. We know character when we see it. People come to me sometimes, they'll walk in the office and they'll say, uh, you know, I've been praying about this thing, I've been seeking God about this thing, I'm just troubled with this thing, though, Pastor, I need you to, to answer this question for me. And they'll, they'll kind of frame it like this. They'll say, um, you know, is it wrong when... And then they fill in the blank. When you come into my office and ask me, a lot of times you already know the answer to the question. Sometimes you don't. But a lot of times, people are looking for someone just to give them permission to do something they know they shouldn't. Isn't that true? That is so absolutely true. So the voice of our conscience, we have to listen carefully to it. And then the third voice that Pilate heard. The third voice was the voice of a loved one. Pilate heard the voice of who? Scripture says it was his wife. In verse 19, it's not going to come up, but in verse 19 she says, Don't have anything to do with the crucifixion of this man. I've suffered many things in a dream because of it. I don't know what she dreamed. I don't know what it was she suffered, but she said, I've suffered many things. Don't do it. There was revelation from heaven that his wife was bringing to him. And this is the opportunity in the sermon, wives, to put an elbow in your husband and say, see what happened to Pilate when he didn't listen? You need to trust me. You need to listen to me. God has put people in our lives for a reason, right? You know there are people in your lives that really care for you they really love you and they are the people that will make you the maddest because they'll be more honest with you than anybody else they'll tell you the truth they'll tell you stuff you may not necessarily want to hear but they're going to tell you the truth so with all those voices that Pilate heard why did he choose the way he did why did he hand over Jesus well, one of the reasons I believe he did was because Jesus had claimed to be king. And here was the issue. If he claimed and stood in the, uh, on the side of Jesus, then he would have stood against Caesar. And he would have said, you're not the king. Well, he was a governor. Who was his boss? Caesar. He had a, he had a cushy job. And he didn't want to lose it. So he chose the job over Jesus. How many of you understand and know that there is nothing in this life that is ever worth more than Jesus in your life? And you should never choose anything over him. But he made that choice. He chose his job. And then he also chose not getting in a big old scuffle. My grandparents used to use that word a lot when I was a little boy growing up in Georgia. You better quit scuffling in this house. I'm going to whoop your tail. That's what they tell me. 
One day we got in, we got in a scuffle, and then we wound up in my granddaddy's bathroom where he had his hair uh, product. I don't know what they call that, but it slicked you back, man, and we used the whole bottle. It was awesome until Pop found us. <laughs> and then it wasn't that awesome anymore. <laughs> but he didn't want an uproar. He didn't want a riot to ensue. He was a coward. He was afraid. And when we're in fear, what we end up doing is we get paralyzed by that. And we do nothing. And how many of you know indecision is a decision? Right? I'm not having anything to do with it. You guys do whatever you want to do, but I'm out. He was Jesus' opportunity. He was the one who saw really what was going on and could have stood up and had a voice. Now, he would have paid for it. But he ended up paying even more dearly. Scholars say that Pilate ended up going into exile and committing suicide because of what he had done. But fear won out over faith. Fear won out. We are in a place in the history of this church we've never been, well, we haven't been in 27 years. For 27 years, we have had the, the privilege and honor of having the same senior leader we've always had. And you get used to that, don't you? We get accustomed. We like familiar. We like knowing what we're going to receive every time we come, and, and that makes us feel confident and secure. And change is very uncomfortable, isn't it? If anybody's sitting here and says, boy, I love change, change everything. I like it. The more change, the better. Now, if you're talking about shopping, I'm not talking about that. Now, you ladies may like changing your shoes or your wardrobe or something, but we don't like change generally. It stings. It's not, it's not easy. And I'm not saying that because we don't like change... That we're cowards, so don't misunderstand me here today. I know we're talking about cowardice in this, in this sermon today, but what I want to point out to you is actually what the opposite of cowardice is. What is the opposite of being a coward? What is it? Bravery. The opposite of cowardice is courage, isn't it? It's the courage to face something difficult and do it even though it's hard. Even though it may not be the easiest thing. Even though we may not know what's coming down the road. We have the courage to face it. I believe God's calling us to be courageous. I looked back in the back of the worship auditorium in the, in the early service. And there was a lady sitting back there named Minnie Williford. Who's been in this church for 85 to 86 years. This church is almost 100 years old. It'll be 100 years old next year. She's been here almost the whole time. The Waters family sitting right over there. Many of you have been here not near that long, Miss Rose. But you've been a part of the church a long time. And then some of us, we just, we just started coming. And we hear that announcement. And we walk out the door. And what do we say? 
What are we going to do? He just resigned. What did I miss, God? I felt like you were calling me here. I felt like this was the place I was supposed to be. And what God, I think, is saying in a resounding voice is, yeah, it is the place I called you to. His resignation didn't take me by surprise. It didn't, it didn't come at me and hit me and I go, oh my goodness, what in the world is, what is heaven going to do now? And I'm not being sarcastic or snide or diminishing Pastor Farrell because he would agree with me. God knew. He wasn't shocked by this. God has a plan. And can I tell you this this morning? God already has the plan complete. He knows the man. He knows who's going to stand in this pulpit. Who's going to be the senior leader at this church. He's already got the plan in place. Here's what he's waiting on us for. He's waiting on our obedience. He's waiting on us to trust that plan. Do you trust God enough to wait on him to work that thing out? Can we trust him in that? I do. I trust him enough to believe that. Now you've heard Pastor Farrell talk about a succession plan, haven't you? He started talking about that probably two or three years ago. With, a, with the staff probably about five years ago. Saying that there was going to be a time. That, you know, he knew that the time was coming where he would step away. And there is no reason. Let me, do, let me dispel this rumor. If there is a rumor, I haven't heard it. But you, I know how people are and I know what people think. But there is nothing other than what he shared with you on this stage. Nothing has happened. Nobody did anything to him. Or, uh, it, there, there's nothing like that. He just knows it's time. And God's time for him is not in direct opposition to his time and will for the bridge. So we have begun this succession process. It, it's already started. And so I'm here to let you know where we are in this plan in fulfilling that succession process. The next step to get us to the next step, which is Securing that senior leader and getting him in place is we got to put an interim senior pastor in this pulpit. And so that's what we're going to do. He is a man that has been here with us. He has gone through SWOT analysis with us that y'all have been a part of. He has, he has helped us in consulting and many different things. And matter of fact, he's been helping us at the bridge in Goldsboro for the last several months. But Dr. Jim Wall will be stepping into that place as interim senior pastor. He's not taking the senior leader role permanently. He's interim so that we can go through the succession process that we believe God has set us out on. We're in that journey now. And, you know, I don't, I don't know, you know, everybody has opinions and thinks various things or whatever have you ever made an have you ever made a decision in haste you ever been in a position where you're like we got to do something now we got to hurry up this has got to happen we got to make sure that this is done and we got to do it now how many decisions that you've made in haste have you looked back on and said mm, I wish I hadn't been in such a big hurry yeah I've been there 
Well, that's the reason that we're doing this. Um, the SLT, the senior leadership team here at the church, and the elder board uh, have spoken with Dr. Jim, and he has accepted that. And, um, and so we are, we're excited about that. We're excited about continuing this process and what that's going to mean. Now, we have also uh, put out the, the national, Pastor Farrell told you, I think two weeks ago, there was a national search for our next leader, and that has begun. And so what we're doing now is giving us, this is giving us the time to look for, interview, talk to whoever that person is. Once again, let me remind you that God already knows is there. So why are you telling me all this, Pastor? Because we want you to know where we are in the process. He's going to continue to preach on Thursday nights at the bridge in Goldsboro. Um, he will be there some, he will be here some, I will be at the bridge in Goldsboro some, the other pastors. We're going to, you know, we're going to get to the other campuses a little bit more often than we've been doing. But there is a plan in place. And so I want you to be aware of that and I want you to understand that. So what do we, what am I asking for from you? Prayer. Here's the other question I would ask you. The other question that I would ask is, why are we here? We ask this question in ownership class. Some of you have taken ownership here at the bridge. And one of the first questions we ask, it's actually the very first question we ask in ownership. Do you know, does anybody that's taken ownership remember what that question is? Am I called to this church? Am I called here? I want to tell you this morning, I'm called to the bridge. I've been here with Pastor Farrell for 22 years, and I do want to let you know, and I don't know if it, it may make you feel better, it may make you feel worse, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm here. I'm staying right here. <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> I was kind of scared where that was going to go. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> He's not leaving. Um, I'm not going anywhere. I mean, unless the elders ask me to go somewhere else, I, I'm right here. And I'm going to continue to do what I've been doing. And if God calls me to do something else here, then that's what I'll do as well. But I'm, I'm here. I'm available. Because I know what God can use, and that is our availability. So if we're called to this place, if we're called to the bridge, I shared this with the staff just a couple of weeks ago, but I want to share it with you. I believe if he's called us here, he's called us to bloom where we're planted. I believe he wants us to get our roots down deep. And there are a lot of you that have them down deep. And some of you, they're not down deep just because you haven't been here very long. But they can. I want you to be like the acacia tree that is mentioned in Jeremiah 17. In Psalm 1. You remember the tree that's mentioned in Psalm chapter 1? That is that when we're in Christ and we're serving Him fervently, we're like a tree that's planted by a river of living water. Now when you hear that passage of Scripture, what image comes up in your mind? I know for me, it's a great old big tree beside a big running river that never runs dry. 
There's always nourishment there. There's always provision there. Everything I need is found right there. Well, that's not the image that especially the children of Israel and those that lived in the desert in the Middle East in the time that this was written, that's not the image that came to their mind. See, the acacia tree grew rather in a desert area. It actually grew, I believe I'm using the right word here. Um, it, it's been a while since I, since I actually studied what this was called, but I believe it's called a wadi. And it runs through this wadi in the, in the desert. It's basically a dry riverbed. The acacia tree obviously doesn't grow right in the middle of that because what happens in that wadi, when the rain comes, it floods. Well, if a tree was there, we know about floods around here, don't we? Way too much about them. Well, it's going to knock that tree down and it's going to be gone. So the tree grows over to the side here. But what is required of that tree is that the roots have to go down and then they run out to the middle of that wadi. And then when the rain comes, guess who gets fed? The acacia tree. Now, in this region, they can go 10 years without rain. Isn't that amazing? And they say what happens with the acacia tree is it actually goes dormant. And it looks like it's dead, but it's not. It's just, it's a survival thing that it goes into. And then when that rain comes back out again, it gets green. It, it, it produces fruit and shade. And everything that those people that live in that desert need. See, the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, and it's not on your screen. Beginning in verse 7, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear. When heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. See, What's described there is even better than what the acacia tree receives. Because our leaves will never wither. They are always green. And we always bear fruit. If our roots are grounded deep in who Christ is. And so that's what my prayer is. For us as a local church. That partners with other local churches throughout this community. That we continue to be a light, a city on a hill that is set here for a purpose and for a reason. Pastor Farrell, myself, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Jared, Miss Valerie. I don't know, everything might fall apart if you're not here, Miss Valerie, but um, this thing doesn't rise or fall on any of us. Who does the bridge belong to? Please say Jesus. <laughs> right? God. It's His. This is His work. This is His plan. It might have thrown us a little bit of a curveball. We may not know how to respond or react to it right now. And I tell you, probably the reason that it's the most problematic for us is because we can only see right here. You may 
and, and please don't do this. You, you may want to come up and ask me a bunch of questions at the end of service. I, I, I won't have the answer to. But here's what I do know. If we remain obedient to God, and we're seeking His face, and we're praying, and we're trusting Him, and we're doing ministry the way God's called us to do ministry at this church, this church is going to be better and stronger and bigger than it ever was when all the staff at this church have different reflections. When God places different people. I, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to live forever. But I ain't in no hurry to get gone now, so don't misunderstand me. But this is God's work. An example of what God has done through this church. The leaders that have been raised up. The pastors that have come out of this work. Uh, when, we're, when our roots are deep. And we're pouring into the lives of young people. And Royal Rangers. And Impact Girls Club. And, and the Riot Student Ministries. And Bridge Kids. When we're doing what God's called us to do. We're going to have young people like Andrew Price. And Jared Grantham as I like to affectionately call Guitarzan. Gage Havery, another guitar Zan. William Murphy, who is the youth pastor at Temple Baptist Church in Selma. Jim Gillikin, who was sitting over there, but he's not there now. He was there in the early service. Joey Lancaster, and the list goes on and on that have come up through this church and are now serving in the kingdom of God. And that's what we want to continue to do. We want to be an incubator for people to come to know Jesus, but then send them out to serve Jesus. And I seem to remember reading somewhere in the Bible, that's kind of the deal. That we're to go, ye therefore, and make disciples, right? That's what God's called us to do. So I want to encourage you in that. Let's be a church that always is in the business of making disciples. If you do have questions, I will be here at the end. I'd be happy to talk to you. I'm teasing you can come. But there are those of you that are here today and you hear about roots going deep and getting grounded in your faith and you're like, you know, I haven't even taken the first step. I've never asked Jesus into my life. Well, I hope you've heard the voices today. I hope you've heard the voice of reason that says there is a God and all you have to do is walk outside to find Him, to see His handiwork. Will you trust Him today? And then the voice, we say conscience. When God's dealing in, with our heart and he's, he's messing us up, who's doing that? That's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The Holy Spirit is drawing you. I've never saved one soul in my life. The Holy Spirit draws men to God. All I do is share the message. So the Holy Spirit may be drawing you today. And then there's that third voice. That voice of the one that loves you. The voice of the one that is passionate for you. Jesus is calling. Will you answer? He's heard the prayers of your mom, your grandmother. It may be someone 
that prayed for you many, many years and now is in heaven themselves. Somebody took the time to pray for you. And there's somebody that loves you here today. And he wants a relationship with you. Will you trust him? Will you follow him? I want us to pray. The hour is late. I'm going to ask you if you would just to stand right where you are. And I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. And I want us to do two things today. If you've not made a decision to follow Christ, you've never asked Him into your heart or into your life, and I want you to make that decision today. I encourage you to follow Him. And then if you're here, you've made that choice, I want your prayer to be, God, may we go deeper in our walk with you. I want to be more like you. I want to reflect you, Lord Jesus, in my life. And no matter what comes our way as a church, as we stand, I... I pray this is a stand of solidarity that we say we are going to stand, Lord, on the truth of your word. And we are going to look with anticipation as to what you're going to do next. Because I'm telling you, God's up to something. And it's something great. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for loving us. I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross so that we could know forgiveness of sin and for that person that is here today that has never made that commitment they've never made that decision to follow you I pray that right now they would say yes you don't have to repeat a prayer after me you don't have to say a special group of words you believe in your heart you trust him you ask him you ask him say God help me forgive me I recognize from your word God in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Lord, I want to receive that right now. I want to receive that gift from you. I don't understand what it means completely, maybe not even in part. But I know this. I'm tired. I'm tired of living the way I've been living. I'm tired of a hopeless existence. I'm tired of trying to figure things out my own way. And it, everything blows up in my face. I'm so tired. I come to you right now. And lay it all down at the foot of the cross. Let it be. And then God, I pray for those roots to go deep. That we would not have faith that is as deep as a thimble, but we would have deep roots 
when the wind and the rain come, God, it doesn't blow us away. But we stand firm and strong because you have built us up. God, we declare, as much as we ever have, our dependence on you. We need you. We can't do this as a church without you. We can't do this individually without you. We completely depend on you. Thank you for lives that have been changed today, God. And thank you that you have set our hearts to look to you. To trust you with a deep faith that will be unmoved by circumstances around us because we know you are the constant in our life. The guarantee we have of everything around us in this world is that it will change. I'm thankful for the guarantee we have from you, Lord, that you never change. ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.